Broadcasting from New York City, 2014 pre-Sentinel Invasion. It's Matt and Brett Love Comics. This is Matt. And uh, and this is Brett from 30 Years in the Future. Yeah, your mustache is I, way longer. And I have an iPhone 23. Yeah, you have an odd inflection as well. You've decided what? To this inflect- is what everyone talks like. Really? Yes. Why? What uh, happened? Well, you see... The BBC became very, very popular thanks to Sherlock. Okay. And they just started airing all of their programming all day, all night. Goodbye, must-see TV. Goodbye, TGIF. Oh, that that is fair. Hello. When you were watching, when you were watching Frasier, you talked like Frasier a lot. So. Oh, oh, I don't even remember Frasier. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, we can talk about that later. He was one of the first to go in the Sentinel callings. Hold on, I have to travel. I have to travel back in time. Mwah! Oh, hi, I'm back. I got kissed. You just kissed yourself. Yeah, what's up? Hey, guys. Hey. Uh, <laughs> Starting it off on an interesting on a foot weird this week. Note, um, I love it. Yeah, uh, if it's obvious, we're talking about Days of Future Past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're talking about the classic uh, X Men storyline, Days of Future Past, which. You may have seen the movie of the same name that uh, kind of just straight up slaughtered the box office this past uh-huh. weekend. Uh, was it like three hundred million worldwide? Something so like it that. It was one hundred eleven million domestic. Yeah. Um, and everyone keeps saying that's kind of a letdown because it isn't as much as X Men: The Last Stand made. Well, that's but because also, uh, the the economy was different then. Yeah. The uh, the way that people consumed media was different then. And X Men was coming off of two awesome, widely loved movies going into yeah. that one, whereas this one people were very on the fence about. Right. So the fact that it made that much money. Oof. Yeah, and there were no "I'm the Juggernaut" bitch jokes in this movie. <gasps> oh boy. Yeah. So, but we're not here to talk about bad X Men stories. We're here to talk about beloved X Men stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And joining us to talk about those. Yes. Miss Elena Chimileski. Hello. Chimileski? You got it. I got Chimileski. it right the first time and yeah. then I doubted it. <laughs> you did a great job. You, uh, your last name is amazing. I love it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. It's been it's been a burden, but now that I can write faster than I could in the first grade, I'm I've accomplished loving it as well. <laughs> <laughs> it took you this long. Yeah. It took you till now. Mm-hmm. It was a long Decades. journey. Decades. That's great. Uh, thank you for joining us on the show today. How are you thank doing? Thank you for having me. I'm great. I'm very excited. Yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're uh, we're reading Days of Future Past. Now, Elena, can you tell us what your... Uh, we'll get into your background and stuff real fast. Uh, what is your comic book background? Anything at all? My comic book background is when Disney Adventures was a magazine. <gasps> yes. I would read all of those comics. Yes. Like Bone. And yeah. I remember oh, Bone specifically. Yeah. Yes. And I put I meant multiple bone comics bones. Not yeah, yeah. I misspoke and called him Bones. Not not a comic of the TV show Bones <laughs> or Bones Thugs and Harmony. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so you read all those? Yeah, and whatever. I don't even remember specifically which are the ones. I just remember Bone because it was mostly black and white. Yes. And all yeah, and Bone is widely loved. Yeah, yeah. Highly that was a loved. really good story. Yeah. It was um, really incredible. Not, they also had like Tailspin comics. Oh, that yeah. sounds right. Yeah. yeah, tailspin with Baloo. Yeah, as a, as a pilot. There were usually more Disney ones, and then yeah, I think I'm Bone was the anomaly, and that's why it stands out yeah. to me. Yeah. And um, and then I read. And I mean, recently in the last few years, I've only read the graphic novels that people have handed off to me, or I'll find on the street in those free boxes in Park Slope. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome! I read, I've read Black Hole. Oh, Black Hole's so good. It's, oh man, I love that and was really disturbed by it. Yeah, it was very upsetting. And then another one, I'm forgetting the name, 
I should point out that I loved it because it was upsetting because I love upsetting myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a different podcast. I feel like you have to be into this game to get sad. That's one of the one I'm learning from my experience. Yeah, I mean, uh, jump ahead a tad bit before we rock it back. Tom, we're going to time travel in this sentence. Uh, yeah, Days of Future Past has some happiness, but also some sadness in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but we'll be getting into that in just a second. Uh, Elena, we know Elena through the UCB community, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater up here. Correct. Uh, yeah. You've you've been around the theater. You've done some stuff. You've mm-hmm. been on some teams. You're improviser, writer. Uh, she's a writer, director. Just wrote and directed a fabulous piece at a uh, at a show that I went to see this weekend at the Cherry at the Lane Cherry Lane Theater. Theater. Oh. Uh, it was a collection of uh, short scenes and plays called "Are You Happy Now?" Uh, and on theme with this, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about how that came about. The that experience, yeah. Oh, that uh, I had a friend who took a class at the Labyrinth Theater, an ensemble class, and they did an exercise where everybody had to write based off of the same line. Okay. And she was like, "This would be a cool way to present a whole night of works." Hmm. So she wanted it to be kind of a female-based theme. So she asked four of her friends, two from the ensemble class and two from UCB, uh-huh. and we each wrote approximately like a 10-minute piece based off of that line, Are You Happy Now? Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, tell us a bit about yours, which was really uh, delightfully dramatic and uh, also fantastically acted. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, I can take credit for half of that. Um, <laughs> mine was about a couple... I, I'd like to tell everybody who was going to come to it that it was about a couple moving in together. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> which it was um, initially. And then you kind of immediately find out that the man is actually leaving his wife for this woman and then within a very short amount of time as well find out that he actually has a lot of mistresses and just kind of used this woman to uh, leave his wife and she thinks they're moving in together and starting a future together and it turns out he thinks he's crashing there for a few weeks oh yeah and at the end she brings out a cake that says welcome home and basically throws it at the ground (laughs) It was heartbreaking. Jeez. Yeah. (laughs) You're such a delightful, happy person, though. We all got our our stuff inside. Mm -hmm. You got to get out. Well, speaking of that stuff, like, what drew you to directing and writing and even performing? Um, Performing, I saw a lot of shows and thought to myself, I could probably do that. Yeah. And once I started taking classes, I was like, oh, I can do this. So that was a nice (laughs) surprise. That's kind of the great thing about improv. I feel like that's everyone's entryway, and as you go and see a show and think, like, oh, I could do that. Yeah. I want to do that, and yeah. then you do that. Yeah, and then it turns out everybody can do that. It's cause, like, yeah, it's because, like, you don't have to, like, you can't, like, see the Mona Lisa and be like, I want to paint, I can paint, and then you could paint, right. but you might not be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably won't be that good. Sure. I mean, we're not all of us are George W. Bush. That's true. Man in shower. Man in shower. Uh yeah, so you got started at the UCB doing, because you were like, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And you just got up in it. Got up in it. And then the writing directing sort of came from very late in the game, realizing that I, I, did, I didn't have to rely on seven other people on a team to make things happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like sometimes I would be alone, and I could still come up with ideas. <laughs> so I started writing them down. Yeah. 
I think yeah. at first, I think the first thing I wrote was with somebody else. So it still took two people. But, and yeah. then from there, I was weaning myself it down. off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> less and less until finally I was like, oh, I can write and I like making decisions. So I'm going to also direct. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're incredibly talented across the board too because you're you're also a fashion designer correct yes uh which uh i love your designs thank you very much um what what was your what was your first love my first Uh, talking about performance writing directing designing those were those were my only options oh is there (laughs) no no oh well then uh i mean I feel like I just wanted to be a rock star, isn't that? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just and I yeah. couldn't play any instruments. I took piano for eight years, and all I can play to this day is the O to Joy. <laughs> <laughs> but you play it real badass. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. like hey, real the, staccato. The, <laughs> the rock. I mean, I loved punk growing yeah. up, high school, middle school, all of the schools. I went to art school, so there's a lot of weird noise stuff happening in Chicago oh, yeah. at that time. Um, yeah. Just like the weird, dirty, the weird, dirty, loud people, the really aggressive yeah, ones. Yeah. Those are the ones I wanted to be around. And then I think once I realized I couldn't do music, I started going to comedy shows. And I was like, yeah. wait, you come out and people cheer for yeah, you? Yeah, oh, 100%. And you do something cool and people clap yeah. for you every time? I, Let I me give up, this a shot. <laughs> I grew up in a college town, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where all my friends were in bands, like rock bands and punk bands, and I would go see their shows, and I'd be like, well, I can't play any instruments, but I want to perform. And then I moved to New York. And that's the thing is, like, improv is very similar to... Well, improvisers will tell themselves. Sure. <laughs> and that right, doing right, right. improv is very similar to uh, doing, like, punk music or, like, performing. <laughs> performing oh, yeah. Well, they say every comedian is a failed musician, and every musician's a failed comedian. Yeah. That, well, um, I live that stereotype. <laughs> oh, me too. I wish I could play an instrument. I have absolutely no... I can play the end of Closer, the Ooh. Nine Inch Nails song, on a piano, and that oh, is it. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's all I know how to do. Uh, I, I was a marching band percussionist, and I still can't play any instruments. Really? Whoa. Yeah. I was fourth bass drum, and I only joined marching band because all my friends were in marching band. Yeah. That's... So funny. But I mean, I guess I have, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, it was like two years, like freshman and sophomore year, just being like, oh, my friends are in band. Why can't I be in band? And I was like, so mm-hmm. distraught. Oh, yeah. Um, then I joined band. And then percussion, bass drum was all like knowing when to hit a thing. Yeah. It was very, I mean, from my experience, very little talent. It's like having rhythm and knowing how to count. Because mm-hmm. you don't, like, you just have to hit it. There's no other options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I, I resorted to drums, too. There were two years yeah. where I was, like, taking drum lessons, like, drum kit. And I was like, okay, I can keep a beat. At least yeah. there's that <laughs> consolation. Yeah, yeah. By then it was too late. Everybody was already in bands. Nobody oh, wanted man. a girl drummer at that time. Oh, but man, and then those white stripes yeah, like came white. along <laughs> and everything changed. Because you're talking about, like, girl who can yeah. barely play the drums. Although I do love Meg White, and I think she is the perfect drummer for that band, and I actually get mad when people diss her. So. Except you just did. You just I know, did. and I wanted to clarify <laughs> that I actually think that she grew into her role, and also that her style was good for that band. And also Ringo Starr is a phenomenal drummer, and I'll fight people that say different. Okay. But anyway. You won't hear a peep out of me. I've said I don't nothing. know anything about anything. <laughs> Ringo Starr, he was that guy from that band, uh, Ringo's All-Star Band, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was the uh, conductor on Shining Time Station, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real good Nothing at drumming else. in yeah. that. Those are the two <laughs> things that he's known for. <laughs> I just want to go quickly go back to the fact that, to you, marching band were the cool kids. Like, yeah. Like, they were still 
cool to somebody. Yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you watch Drumline? Have you ever seen the movie yeah, Drumline? Yeah, I, I saw Drumline in co- I think it came out when I was in college. Yeah. I didn't like it then, but I think I could definitely enjoy it now. Okay. Unlike a, I think my sense of humor and desire to watch things for comical value has changed. Okay. Because I love you got served. Oh, man. I did get served. That Just was now? the thing. Yeah. I got served with the information that you love you got served. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what else I love? What's that? The X-Men. Oh! I've heard that about you. If I had an air horn, I'd play it for transition noise. Elena, what do you know about the X-Men going into this? Going into this, I would on and off, more regular than on and off, watch the show, the cartoon when it was on after school. I loved the theme song. X-Men. Great. I used to make up my own lyrics. Which oh. was just repeating the name of whatever character was on screen <laughs> to the tune of <laughs> Professor X. Jubilee, yep. Jubilee, Jubilee, yeah, yeah, Jubilee. Gambit Rogue and Beast. Like, yeah. <laughs> so you watched the cartoon. Yeah. And I've seen the first three movies in the theaters, but only those that one time each. For Yeah. Okay. So, and maybe I saw that Wolverine movie that everybody was angry about and blocked it out. The oh, the Wolverine he's, Origins one. Yeah, he's like underwater for a while. Yeah. yeah. And there's snow. Yeah, there's some snow in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. That sounds it. right. <laughs> Will yeah. I Am from the Black Eyed Peas is in it. Yep. So I feel like speaks to the movie's quality. It's like you're getting like pop musicians that have never acted before and giving them kind of substantial roles. Well, I, I love... What I love about Will I Am is that his creativity stretched this far that... He could pick any name for himself as a musician, and he just put periods in his first name. It's just he put punctuate like that's like me stepping on stage and calling myself Ma Ampersand, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what I love about oh, that guy. Um, so yes, yeah, so you were going into this pretty, pretty uh, clear, pretty clear-headed. Clear-headed. You you don't have the baggage of so much comic book continuity. No, I uh, yeah. I was looking at the cover. And I was like, huh, I know, I know all these people. And then I went, Sprite. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that? So Elena's, of course, referring to the iconic cover of uh, Wolverine and Katie Pride, or not Katie, Kate, Kate, uh, Kate Pride, Kate Pride. Uh, standing with their backs against the wall, <clears throat> a sentinel spotlight on them with the uh, list of X Men that have already Oof. been apprehended or slain on the wall behind them. Yeah. Uh, this is the cover to X Men number one forty one. If you want to get into super super nerdy nerdy type junk, yes, please. We're here to unpack this. Yeah, here we go. Um, the comic book is officially called just X Men up until one forty one. The title of the comic changed with these two issues to Uncanny X Men. Uncanny X Men with one forty two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, even though Uncanny X Men had been on the cover of the title for a while, they didn't officially change the name until one forty two. Yeah. It was still just X Men up until still that point. Still X Men. <laughs> weird, uh, weird little things. When have I... we ever have we ever found out why they actually added an adjective to the title of the book? Because they love adjectives. Yeah, that yeah, was one do. thing that you you noticed right where we were setting up. You were flipping through it and you were talking they about all of the adjectives. Love adjectives. Yeah. yeah. Nothing's ever like you're never just punching. You're like formidably punching. <laughs> <laughs> formidably. <laughs> the X Men stands out. You have Incredible Hulk, Amazing Spider Man, um, 
I guess it's just those fantastic, fantastic four. four. Yeah. It's not just the four. Yeah, X Men. Yeah, so they had, they gave X Men that. I mean, Daredevil never had one, and like Avengers had Mighty Avengers sometimes, so that was never the official title. Mm-hmm. Same with Thor, but. Um, this is one of the most uh, well-regarded, most beloved, and influential storylines the X-Men have ever done. And uh, Vulture did a really good piece, I think last week, about this uh, two-parter, just putting it in context of the time. And they like went and actually interviewed Chris Claremont, the writer, um, about it. And they really put it in, into context of, like, uh, when this came out in 1980, like... There were, X-Men were about to become super popular. Or they had just become very popular. Yes, because uh, they'd gone from bi-monthly to monthly at this point. Yeah, they were They were like brought back. We're going we're, we're gonna to put your book out six times a year. Slowly belt an audience. We'll put your book out 12 times a year. Um, and so when this issue came out, there was no precedent. Like someone just picked, like viewer, readers just picked this up off the stand. And they open up... Uh, the pages and they see Kitty Pride as a 40 year old woman running through a post-apocalyptic cityscape and context was like they had no idea where that came from there was oh, absolutely no context no leading into this story Great. no anything because I um, didn't have any of that either and I didn't know whether that was the if she went from being young to being older I was like oh they've lived their whole lives and now they're going back cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> like alright we just follow them for the last 40 years and now we're gonna go back because the cool thing about it is that Kitty Pride only joins the team uh, two issues before, in issue 139. Uh, she joins the team, and she is 13 years old. Yeah. Um, which is the cover of 139. is Welcome to the X-Men, Kitty Pride. Hope you survived the experience. Which is now becoming a, a sort of cliche phrase in the X-Men continuity to say, like, welcome to the X-Men, whoever. Hope you survived the experience. They did it with Rogue in 171. Mm-hmm. Uh and so to have like two issues later, all of a sudden Kitty Pride is the lead character in this story is like that's a huge shock because people were probably mad because she just joined two issues before, forcing this new character on us. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, do we want to run through what the quick plot of it is? I mean, I feel like press tour right now. Everyone knows the plot of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, at this point, it. So the basic the base idea is that uh, Kate Pride is sent back in time by. Who we find out is Rachel Summers, the uh, daughter of yeah, uh, the Cyclops future and daughter of Cyclops and Jean Grey. Uh, which, they are at a point. Which you want to unpack that because they don't reveal that in this two-parter. No, they don't. Yeah, no. I knew I knew Cyclops and Jean had a thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know Rachel Summers is married to someone in Fantastic Four. Because they reference oh, her as somebody's <clears throat> wife. Yeah, well, she was um she was like dating Franklin Richards, who is the son of Invisible Man, yeah. Invisible Woman, mm-hmm. and Mister Fantastic oh, in the yeah. future. Gotcha. Um, so, so complicated. Yeah. So <clears throat> she winds up getting thrown back in time because at this point in the future, Sentinels have decimated the mutant population, put them in concentration camps, and are either slaughtering them or forcing them into servitude. They're either slaying them or apprehending them. Yeah. And how are they slaying or apprehending them? Give me an adjective. Brilliantly. (laughs) Brilliantly. (laughs) Fortuitously. Fortuitously. Well, there's a really really great moment. um, I love, on one of, like, page two or three... When Kate, when Kate Pride has the device they need mm-hmm. to like make their inhibitor collars turn off to use their powers, and John Byrne draws this really great montage of like what life is like in the Manhattan of the future, and you see 
a horse-drawn subway car? Or no, it's a horse-drawn bus. It's a horse-drawn yeah. bus. I, I stopped and I was I was like in a waiting room and I, I went, these these buses, these buses. <laughs> it takes six horses to make yeah. a bus move. Did you know that? <laughs> this is scientific fact. I, I, would you ride a horse bus? I would. I would ride a horse bus. I would Absolutely. probably do that right now, like yeah, as yeah, a novelty. Yeah. I oh. feel like there's a business yeah. somewhere in, in like horse-drawn bus. Or like, yeah, in Bushwick, there's a guy with a horse bus. All the people that are getting decommissioned by De Blasio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised that like Fox didn't make. Well, if they really were that key on detail, they would have, you know, had this be a promo thing. Oh sure. <laughs> Come ride the the bus of the future drawn by horses. Yeah. Um. But yeah, she. So you see her on that. You see her on the on the bus inside, and Claremont does a really good job of like breaking down the three classes of people. H for baseline humans that are allowed to breed, and A for anomalous humans who are just people, but they possess the potential to have mutant kids, so they can't forbidden to breed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then mutants, the lowest of the low. It's really great. Oh, yeah. Um, it's also uh, H-A-M. Ham. Yeah. <laughs> ham. They're about to go ham, son. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was also told that muty is like the N-word of the mutant world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They say it a lot in the beginning of this they, issue. Uh, I mean, to even get honest here, Claremont drops the N-word a bunch. Yowza. Yeah, yeah. But he always does it. It's for some reason. Kitty Pride. Kitty, uh, it's always Kitty Pride. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always, she's done it twice, maybe three times, but I can think of two times off the top of my head. And it is always to prove a point about bigotry. So, like, the heart is in the right place. Because they're like, because she's always like, would you call so-and-so with this? Or would you call so-and-so with that? Like, that is yeah. wrong. You don't do that. But it's also like, I feel like I've gone on this rant on this show before. Like, you're equating an actual real-life horrible word with your made-up cutesy-sounding thing for yeah. for things that don't exist, that slur things that aren't real. Yeah. Um, so, Elena, when you were reading this page, this awesome page, and you got to the bottom, and you see all these gravestones, mm-hmm. did that hit you like a ton of bricks? Or like a ton of gravestones? Or did you have questions about those gravestones? I mean, all of those things. I I got a big old hint on the cover. Yes. <laughs> like, people weren't going to be happy. And I started reading the gravestones, and I was just like, A, why are they buried inside this? It's just, that's that's what weirded me out. I was like, did they all die in the same place? Or did they die in different places, and they brought the bodies to this camp yeah. and then yeah. buried them here? I wonder. The sentinels were like, yeah. Must give proper burial. <laughs> yeah, these robots were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Respect, or... respect. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if that's actually, if like the survivors, like if that's like Colossus and, and Storm and all them were the ones that buried them. And the Sentinels are just like, whatever. That's possible. Because they, they seem, possible. when you look at the layout of this, the, the South Bronx Mutant Internment Center, it seems like they're not in prison so much as like the prison is just most of the Bronx because they, they're they're meeting in houses and alleyways, yeah, and they seem fairly free to roam and yeah. do labor. She kind of comes and goes, yeah. And she like runs errands for the Sentinels, so I could see the the Sentinels not giving a fuck. Was yeah, you guys want to bury people and put up graves, whatever, right? Just don't try and leave, or we'll kill you. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it's also if their command is to kill any mutant, I don't understand why they even have this South Bronx camp. Yeah, I. It, Why are you saving some of them? <laughs> well, you never know when you're gonna need them. Um, <laughs> gotta have a mutant on hand. <laughs> store some mutants in the fridge. Oh boy! It seems like mutants in refrigerators. Oh, jeez, that's a whole other thing. Uh, they 
Because Kate Pride is even able to leave and go out and get the thing they need mm-hmm. um, because she says she's on a mission from the Sentinels. So I'm assuming, like, the Sentinels kill everyone that's disobedient and ones that are, like, maybe, uh, we need you to run errands. Like, we need you to do labor. Like, go yes. into doorways that the Sentinels yeah. are too tall to walk Yeah, in. yeah. <laughs> Mutant 187, please pass through this doorway to procure burgers for Sentinel 5. <laughs> uh so this is also interesting because this is where we first learned that Kitty Pride and Colossus are going to be a thing. Oh, oh yeah, which yeah. I didn't. I don't even know if I really remembered that until I read this because again, Kitty Pride just joined two issues earlier. I went back and flipped through the previous ones, and she doesn't really interact with Colossus ever. Yeah, and here they're like betrothed, yeah. and and they do that cool thing where they're like, "We found love the first time we met," and then they do the flashback to when they first met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they also this is what. Claremont goes for the gut when um, Kate is like hugging Colossus and she says like Peter if our love was meant to be it will be only this time only uh, this time in a world where our children can grow up free and unafraid the Sentinels killed my friends and they killed my my babies Babies. (laughs) like holy crap yeah I got goosebumps for real (laughs) she did for real that's dark yeah Uh, like they kill her babies it's heartbreaking I mean this this is uh, so a lot of the a lot of the themes that Claremont likes to explore you know he uses Magneto a lot as a concentration camp survivor yeah and he uses that to inform a lot of Magneto's decisions in terms of the sustaining of the mutant race and making sure that humans are not trying to eradicate his species and this is sort of the theme that reappears here except in the future where now what he hoped wouldn't happen is actually coming true yeah uh and you know what's interesting too and i just realized this as we were discussing it uh peter when they first meet peter actually meets kate pride right in kitty pride's body i mean they not Oh, was it? Well, let's flip ahead a little bit. I, I may have misremembered. Well, I mean, that. she's been she's been in the mansion for a little while, so they've like crossed you know, paths. I mean, she's probably been there for I would say forty eight hours, okay. seventy two hours, maybe. So like an issue per day. Yeah, 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 yeah. maybe like accidentally <laughs> walked in on someone in the bathroom, didn't realize well, the door was locked. Speaking was of accidentally and... walking in, uh, in... nice segue, to, guys. Yeah, we yeah, cut yeah. to October thirty first, nineteen eighty. Also, the future bits are in twenty thirteen. Yeah, Which yeah. Which is in our past. Yeah. Whoa. So this oh, is. Oh man, this comedy. these the are the days of, of future past. <laughs> the days of future past could uh, not be a more perfect name. <laughs> so we smash cut to October thirty first, nineteen eighty, and Kate, Kitty Pride is walking in the danger room unannounced, like, "Oh, hey guys, whoa, you guys are training." Yeah, Angel is fighting uh, lawn darts. Some lawn darts. Yeah. Oh, and, she does. She is in her body at that point. Yeah. I thought she like. Because I was like, why would she be startled by that? She has all these powers already. Why yeah. is she, like, threatened by the room no, now? Because yeah. she doesn't... Yeah, so we cut back. Uh, we see Kitty Pride in the danger room. Uh, and then Kate Pride doesn't intercept her body until a couple pages later. Um, so they do meet on their own right Oh, there. okay. Yeah, so You're falls right. into his glorious arms. Yeah. Yeah, very <laughs> glorious arms. He's a guy. He's a, a, a guy who likes two things. Working out and... Uh, high tips on his shoulder pads Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) but he also he hates bare legs can't stand bare legs has to have high boots because when uh he turns into a human his pants are all of a sudden color blue 
Oh. That's, oh. A, that's a big point of contention with me. Maybe he has varicose veins. <laughs> oh, you know what? That's probably what it is. He's got to very... hide that shit. Yeah. It's yeah, either yeah. metal or fabric, but never flesh. Little Katya, I must not show you my spider veins. <laughs> oh, God. Who I plays miss... him in the movie? Uh, Daniel Cudmore. Oh, okay. He, I think he was just he was just cast because he's like a six foot six huge dude who looks yeah. a lot like Peter Rasputin, Pialter. Yeah. Um, they Pialt. only ever give him one line of movie. That's true. <laughs> That's true. The two movies that he's been in, he only says about one thing. Which is a shame because as you read in this, Colossus is a major character. He oh, yeah. played by someone who can handle more than one line of movie. Colossus has a lot of depth as a character. Yeah. Uh, he, he was a foreign or a, a Russian immigrant uh, picked up by Charles Xavier in Russia on his family's farm. The Ostrodinsky Collective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this was, this was during Soviet rule. And he's an artist at heart. He's a painter. He is also a strong man. He doesn't want to resort to using his power in the way that yeah. he always has to. He would. He, he's a pacifist at heart, I believe. And we see that a lot in the future scenes. Yeah. Because shit ain't good in the future. And even he is still like, I don't want to fight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to talk about, from a comedy standpoint, as comedy writers, I really love the bit of... Kitty is like terrified of the danger room. Like, well, but you know, Professor X did set you up a routine. You're, it's mm. going to be your first time in the danger room. It's going to be really easy. Just, but you know, it's going to be, gonna be pretty easy. Yeah, but so just yeah. be careful. And so, Kitty Pride's power is that she things pass through her. She can phase through objects. She can become intangible. Mm-hmm. So she just closes her eyes and walks from one end of the place to the other. And there's all these really great beats of like duffel bags flying through her. Tentacles can't grab her. She walks over the trap door. <laughs> And then she walks through the padded hammer. Yeah, yeah, it's like a device. two walls that yeah. smash together on her. I love them cutting to the Danger Room observation booth, and all the X Men are just dying laughing. Yeah, I just thought that was so cute. It's really yeah, nice. yeah. It's it's almost like she's doing the American Gladiator gauntlet, but with oh, man. absolutely no effort whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, what do you think would have been the hardest part of that gauntlet? To me personally, climbing yeah. over the wall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was really hard. You had to get that running leap, and they were, like, exhausted. Did the gauntlet stay... The, wait, was the Eliminator... That's the, the Eliminator. Eliminator. That was yeah. what it's called, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The, so, the gauntlet was one of the... What was the one with the, the the tennis ball guns? Assault. That was called Assault. I loved Assault. Loved. Yeah. I think that was everybody's favorite. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. By the end, you just had, like, three balls that you had to, like, throw <laughs> at the guns. So yeah. Good. So the danger room is at this point the danger room is basically an American Gladiators course. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, this is, uh, and, we're, and we're talking like Mike Adamly American Gladiators, not Hulk Hogan on NBC no, no, American Gladiators. No, never, never that. that. Never no. that. But that at this point, after she walks through the whole thing, is when Kate Pride takes over her body. Yeah, and people get worried. Um. Oh yeah, and she passes out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the one thing. I mean, to start. Talking more general about things, um, I think Chris Claremont's really good at character interactions, um, and I like that he shows that Kate Pride is different, or everyone figures out that she's different, is because a couple of pages before we find out that Kitty is like a little bit nervous around Nightcrawler because he looks like a blue demon. Yeah, but when oh, she wakes up, why? when she wakes up, she immediately like hugs him and is like, "Kurt, it's you. It's really you. You're alive." 
Yeah. And, and the look on his face is like, why are you hugging he me? He looks like a confused squirrel. <laughs> he does. So I, I really like that. I like that. That that's one of the reasons why we know who she is, and we know that things are different, is because of their interactions have changed. Yeah. What yeah. other interactions did you guys uh, like or want to see more of in the story? Hmm. The hard hitting question. Hard hitting question. Sure. You know, I feel like Warren doesn't get enough to do. Oh, Angel doesn't in this do story. Yeah. yeah. I would. I would like to see more with him. He doesn't do. I mean, he does a lot of fighting, but he doesn't have a lot of, like... There's not a lot of development for him mm-hmm. as a character in this story. He does have the jet that they fly. He does have the jet. And... Oh, okay. So everyone hangs out with the rich kid because yeah. he's got cool <laughs> he toys. Great. Jet. And he also wears a super dope, like, silky vest and cravat. Oh, I, I think that that's, like, like uh, ruffling... Or something. I think that's what that's supposed to be, right? Like a tuxedo, like vest? runched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ruched. Ruched. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> um, I love the scenes that it's just the Brotherhood of Evil of Evil Mutants hanging out. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Because it's like you get the impression they like don't like each other even. <laughs> yeah. I I love the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. They this set of five characters is so fun to me. Yeah. Um, Mystique, Destiny, Avalanche, Pyro, and Blob. Also, hands down, the best uh, mutant costume I've ever seen is definitely Destiny. Oh, wow. It's terrifying. <laughs> but Explain there's to... still cleavage. Yeah. yeah. And also, let's keep in mind that Destiny is about a 65-year-old woman. She's an old woman. And oh, yeah, she yeah. Is where, she's rocking and she's bare blind. thighs. Yeah. Bare thighs and cleavage. Yeah. Looks Slam <laughs> Old like enough Helen to Mirren. know better, but young enough to party, everybody. Wait, isn't <laughs> Helen Mirren would play her? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you describe? I want to, like, with your fashion uh, sense, I want to know Ooh, how you would question. describe Destiny's awesome costume. Yeah. I mean, I think it reminds me of the bad guy from, like, Sheer or something. Because like, it's, like, this <laughs> pastel blue yeah. that, like, takes me to a certain place in my childhood. But it's basically, like, a Coneheads football head yeah. <laughs> helmet. Yep. No, because I think it's supposed to be a cape with a hood. But in this one panel, it looks like... Yeah, usually... Uh, I've always read it as being very solid. Oh, there we go. Right? Like a there solid There was one that definitely mask. looked like a hood. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So then... Then it's like an alien face with no eyes because she's blind. But mm-hmm. the mouth is there. But the mouth is there, but doesn't look like it opens. And nostrils that don't look like they're open, but must be. <laughs> but then she's just wearing like a regular bodysuit, bathing suit shaped thing. <laughs> Huge cleavage. <laughs> just the most amazing power thighs cleave. ever. Yeah. That's a power move is what she that is. She has like knee high, like above, no, like thigh high above the knee boots and a cape. But, oh, you know what's cool? This is what impresses me <laughs> is that the helmet thing turns into the cape. It's yeah. like yeah. all one piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, would be a, it would be a lot of <clears throat> engineering yeah. fabric to get it there's to There's a do really that. cool, yeah, there's a really cool moment um, towards the end when Kitty is saving Senator Kelly from getting blasted by her. Yeah. And I love, like, the way the cape drapes That's down so her back cool. and into her knees. Like, the way John Byrne draws it is really seamless and cool. I yeah. also was very <clears throat> confused about the panel where 
Kitty Pride's like blasting through her stomach because I forgot for one moment what her power was. I'm like, oh, yeah. somebody drew that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, somebody interpreted incorrectly. <laughs> oh, um, oh it, the mouth does open because look how anguished she is oh, right there. Oh, yeah. It's like Destro mouth. It's like it's yeah. metallic, but somehow the face still moves. Yeah, it's supposed <laughs> to be gold, you guys said? Mm-hmm. Well, that's silly. You know, it's... Uh, it's interesting too. Like this, the structure of this story is used very much for the plot of the film itself as well. Like uh, both yeah. of these, Mystique has an agenda to assassinate someone in the past um, for what she thinks are the right reasons for her race, but doesn't realize that they will ultimately doom everyone. Yeah, uh, to a very bleak future where the Sentinels, where you know, automated robots have turned on the mutant and human races, and uh, yeah. And turn the world into a shithole. <laughs> One thing quickly about the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is my understanding is they're trying to prove that mutants aren't bad and aren't terrorists mm-hmm. by killing Senator Kelly. <laughs> but they come out and the first thing they say is, we are the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. What did you think evil meant, guys? Yeah. <laughs> it's um... an acronym. <laughs> For extremely Mystique. volatile informational <laughs> leaders, Mystique says like they're trying extremely to show volatile. their they're trying to like they're trying to like sh- de- like put their foot down, babe. Like they're trying to like declare their dominance and their power. Like don't fuck with us, don't make your sentinels because we are badasses. Yeah. Um. And then the evil thing is an insane 1960s trope that I think in like the late 90s they tried to go back and rationalize it and, and apply like modern day logic to this silly thing by saying that the name Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is like either trying to like reclaim that title for themselves or trying to like as like sarcastic basically like oh you oh. would think all mutants are evil so we're going to be the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants like it's supposed yeah, to be yeah. said in that tone like anybody who like reclaims a word that's been used to disparage yeah. them yeah. yeah it's like Meredith Brooks's bitch right that's yeah. what it's like it's like the shitty Beatles yeah <laughs> um what do you have to say about Mystique's costume um I like her. I like her better in the movie. Ah. Yeah, you like you like the sort of the, uh, just the body. Scale. Yeah, is, does she is she still played by Rebecca Romaine? Rebecca. Romain? No, she's Jennifer Lawrence now. Oh, younger Mystique is Jennifer Lawrence. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the, it, there's a quick uh, in the yeah in first class X Men first class Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique is morphing into different women, and for a second, it, uh, Rebecca Romaine makes a cameo as Mystique. That's pretty cool. Because like uh, Magneto says something like, it. "Maybe I'll like you when you're older," and she's like, "Well, how about now?" And she turns into Rebecca Romaine. Very yeah. big wink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like it. I mean, I really like Mystique's costume because it's like all the, like little tiny skull belt, little oh, yeah. tiny skull. Pin, Love the like... tiny skull belt. Yeah. <clears throat> this is also the first appearance, the first time we ever meet Avalanche, Pyro, and Destiny. Right. This is their first ever storyline. Whoa. Yeah. So you, this is where you meet them, and you meet them again in that really awesome. I do want to bring up Mystique is has a guise at the Pentagon. Like she is disguised and she's working at the Pentagon as Raven yeah. Darkholm. She's they say like she's earned her position and the complete trust of her superiors. So she's like long conning this. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. How does nothing she like sneak? a good long con. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. How does she sneak the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants? I mean, I guess like they're all in civilian clothes, but they are super they're not they're conspicuous. Yeah. They're very... I love Yeah, they're not dressed like people who work at the Pentagon. No. 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 Especially Blob, like, like he's just there's like a... no there's no Australian hanging out at the Pentagon in a black leather jacket and like a bright <laughs> pink 
<clears throat> wide, like, wide-collared shirt. Yeah. Uh, if is there he, is... Is he Australian? He is. He, yeah, Aust- well... They, they keep calling Englishman. him British. They call him Englishman And here. now I don't know if it's they're like jabbing at him to like make fun of it. Which yeah. is possible. That seems like the type of joke that Chris Claremont yeah, as a writer would make. Because I've always thought he was Australian too. Yeah. So I don't know if there was like a mistake in the 90s at some point. Maybe it was the Pride of the X-Men cartoon. Yeah, maybe. Because he was Australian there, but so was Wolverine. Wolver- yeah, Wolverine was also Australian. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, also, subtle hints. That uh, Mystique and Destiny are lovers. Yes. Ooh, they they yes. are confirmed lovers. Yes. And the subtle hints are in here. <clears throat> the subtle hints, like, uh, the very first time we see her, Destiny's intro uh, caption box is, Destiny, a blind precog with the psychic ability to see the future, the only member of the Brotherhood, Raven calls, comma, bold friend. That is as far as Claremont could ever push it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, because his yeah. whole intent was for them to always be like out lesbian couple, but in the in 1980, like Marvel was like, we cannot do that. If anybody could have done it, Marvel could have done yeah. it. Yeah, well, especially in this book. Like There's... X-Men was, and even at this time, that was what made them so popular is that they were, it was a book about allowing outcasts to yeah. lay claim to what what the world hates and fears about them. You know, mm-hmm. when I was a teenager... That was exactly the type of stuff I was into. You know, you you listen to punk rock because it's it's everyone screaming about like you don't want us. Well, we don't want to be part of your club anyways. <laughs> so that's, yeah. uh, that's what this was all about. Yeah, and I so and like later on nowadays in modern continuity, like they totally say like, oh yeah, they totally were. Yeah. Um. So you get a little bit hint there. Uh. Other subtle thing. This is like getting way off on a tangent, but pyro and avalanche. Maybe. Yeah. There, I just read, I'm rereading all these 90s issues of (laughs) X-Men. And I just read X-Men Annual number two from 1993. Okay. And at this point, uh, Pyro has just contracted the legacy virus. AIDS for mutants, basically. That was the allegory that they were playing with. Uh, So he sought shelter with (laughs) um, a guy named Empyrene, who Mm -hmm. is like the... uh, Tony, he was like a Tony Robbins type, like self help guru. What's that, what type of name is that for a character? Give me an adjective. What name were you talking about? In, oh, Empire, Tony Robbins. Empyrean. No, oh, yeah, so like yeah. if he's That's a like, Tony Robbins type character, he'd be like the. He's like a majestic. Yeah. <laughs> it's a majestic. So Pyro name. was hanging out with the name. with the majestic Empyrean. <laughs> yeah. Um, and his friends. Uh, like Blob and Avalanche came to like visit him and who was it? No, okay, yeah. Th- I'm trying to think of like what the structure of this was. Avalanche was stationed at Empire- Majestic Empyrean's headquarters. <laughs> okay. This is such a tangent. Yeah, and yeah. the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, which then had both Blob and Pyro on the team, came to Empyrene to seek help. And Empyrene, who could like read their minds, was like uh, Blob, you can't come in. And he was like, what? No, I mean, we're just here because Pyro needs to see his, like, fucking friend Avalanche. And Empyrean's like, I'm not going to tolerate any type of discrimination of any sort in on this compound. And that's as far as it goes. But they basically imply, like, Blob is making fun of Pyro for, like, having feelings for Avalanche. And Empyrean's, like, shutting that down. Yeah. Like, you're not going to talk smack about anyone because for any reason. Fascinating. Uh, I didn't know that. I didn't either. Huh. Um, I thought so, Avalanche had a daughter. 
Yeah. Which, I mean, I, mean, I guess he still could. It's not... So did one of my teachers in college. Yeah. <laughs> he had two kids and a lover who was oh, a boy. gentleman. Oh, I hope he's okay. Honestly, I hope he I hope was so a gentleman too. and not just a dude or, like, a jerk. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, jerk face. Yeah. Um, the second part of this story is this awesome, awesome fight that I really love between the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and the X-Men. Reading this again, I think this is one of the most fun fights the X-Men have. I think they're equally matched yeah. and so fun. Yeah, it's really solid. And it's a <clears> testament <throat> to, there's a wild fight in the film itself um, with the main players of the movie. But I think that that fight more than lives up to the standard of the battle that we see in this book as well. It's uh, It was cool because I grew up babysitting my younger brother and sisters who loved Pokemon. Yeah. And there were always, like, logic things. Like, oh, if you, like, make the... um, What's it called? Oh, like, the sprinkler system. If you, like, set the sprinkler system off when a rock Pokemon's fighting, it's gonna, like, have less energy (laughs) and it'll be weaker. And there's always... You're always putting the elements against each other. So it's cool seeing how all the powers got used in this big melee. Yeah, yeah. Because they are so well matched and they are all these powerful people. So it was like, well, it's going to take using Wolverine's like unbreakable skeleton as a leverage point to lift the blob. That was such a cool moment. That was such a cool moment. I also like like Nightcrawler's doing his Fast and Furious punching, teleport punching on Avalanche and Destiny. Who can see the future is like avalanche strike to your left and he does it takes him out like one shot yeah one punch it's so yeah. good <clears throat> there's all these really good moments in it um a moment that i really love is uh storm and wolverine's conflict on this mission mm-hmm. it's like there's so much going on and claremont still mm-hmm. feels the need to layer in all these other things oh yeah like claremont like a uh, wolverine and storm Con, con, get into conflict over Wolverine just wants to kill all of them. Right. He just wants to use his claws and kill all of Kamala them. Kamala God's or mouth. And so the first time that Wolverine lunges at Pyro, Storm like hurricanes him away. It's like, don't do that. Yeah. And then later when Mystique jumps in on Nightcrawler and the two of them are fighting as two Nightcrawlers, Wolverine's like, well, I know uh, one of them's going to teleport away with my claws. And then Claremont devotes half a page to Storm like being like, no. <laughs> Yeah, like she says, sheath them or use them on me. <laughs> In her voice, uh, yeah. similar to Brett from the Future's voice. Yeah, <laughs> sheath them or use. Them. I lost it. <laughs> uh, and I, I love that. I love because um, Storm says like this is her first mission as team leader. It's already this big debacle. <laughs> I do yeah. love like seeing the tiny hint of her insecurities like no cyclops would have known what to do (laughs) yeah yeah. but that she powers through it yeah and she kicks ass totally in a way that Halle Berry never does and that makes me sad yeah yeah they don't position they never really position Storm really well in the films that's a bummer yeah that was such a cool surprise I was like 1980 and Storm's in charge hell yeah and it's like Storm's crew versus Mystique's crew hell yeah yeah. you know she goes an interesting (laughs) journey throughout the rest of Claremont's run on X-Men 2, she eventually loses her powers, but is still in charge and goes through like a real like Whoa. like life and sort of shift in how she views the world. She winds up uh, buzzing her hair into a mohawk and wearing uh, black leather pants yeah. and a black leather vest for a few years. And I talk about it a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Uh, and yeah, she's, so she cool. has no powers. She's still leading the X-Men. She fought... she's just a badass. Cyclops, like... 
Cyclops, Uncanny X-Men number 201, so like 60 issues after this, so like mid-80s, not early 80s, Cyclops decides, uh, I want to be an X-Man again. Let me be an X-Man again. I'm going to come back and I'm going to do this. And Storm's like, I'm leading the team. He's like, well, I should probably lead the team. She's like, well, let's fight in the danger room. One-on-one. And Storm has no powers. She has a knife. Yeah. And Cyclops has his eye beams, and she kicks his ass. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. And then Cyclops has to then, like, pack up and go back to Alaska with his wife and child. Whoa. Cyclops went through a really rough time in the mid-80s. I don't don't watch Mad Men at all, so I don't even know how I know this. But it's like (laughs) Don Draper having to leave the company, and now he's, like, back or something. And he's like, but I want to be in charge again. (laughs) No, Don Draper, you do shit work. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Peggy Olsen, a.k.a. Storm, Mm -hmm. is like, you know what? I'm in charge, and I'm going to whip your ass. Back up off. Uh, Um... Yeah, so I love I love this fight. Uh, we should talk about the future bits too. Okay. So you, I was watching you read this. Yeah, and I was gasping <laughs> a lot. Yeah, you were gasping a lot. Seeing this Wolverine Yurg panel <laughs> yeah. upsets me. Yeah. So much. So you weren't expecting anything like that. Not like that. No. Even though it is on the well, on the cover it says Wolverine is just like running Normal. free. He's, he's just yeah. running around. Yeah, he's out. Yeah, because um, he's like large. in the Canadian Resistance or something. He's the Canadian mm-hmm. Resistance Army. <laughs> uh, Super quickly, what you were just talking about, Storm starting to wear mohawk and leather and yeah. stuff means that something changed from the future here because in 2013 she's wearing a oh. green full body suit. That's yeah. true. She's gone back and to still me. has her powers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, that's uh, and they did change. They, yeah. Well, that's that's that was the reconciliation of the story too. Is like they they avoid that future, or yeah. they're supposed to. Well, they well say it doesn't like, seem like they reconcile because uh, he's still just like <clears throat> sentinels anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, except the signals project right wide awake. Like the thing that happens in the last page when Sebastian Shaw comes, it's like I'm gonna gonna build you guys sentinels. Um, the Sentinels do come, that they don't. They have yet to take over to the extent that they do here. Yeah. So they did change something. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting. It's also like an interesting, to me, treatise on the idea of evil in the world, or like of anything like that. It you remove, you go back in time and you remove one thing. Someone else or something else will fill that void. Yeah. Final destination. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, You wind up, uh, you don't die on an airplane, but you get splatted by a bus that's driving by. (laughs) Or intricately murdered in your own home during a kitchen fire. Mm -hmm. You don't make sentinels for one reason, but you make sentinels for another reason. Yeah. (laughs) Because Roombas stop being effective. Yeah, yeah. Introducing my line of Roombas. All right, Trask, you got to stop trying to sell us Sentinels, man. <laughs> oh, they're Roombas, I swear. No ceiling is Halt. 20 feet. Identify dirt. <laughs> oh, God. And then uh, there's just those lots of not unbought Sentinels. Like, there's all those un- unsold cars on oh, yeah, Facebook yeah. right now. Shelf warmers. Like, the, uh, like, like that uh, landfill that has all those ET cartridges yeah. in it. There's just <laughs> a bunch of Sentinels buried somewhere, sadly. Uh, something fun. cool that I like about this that I forgot that they don't do in the movie is that even though their plan is to, the future X-Men's plan is to send Kitty's mind into the past and just hit the reset button totally. Mm-hmm. But Storm, Wolverine, and Colossus are still like, well, we're free. We're going to go to four, to the Fantastic Four Plaza 
And we're going to try and stop all the Sentinels still. We're still going to try and destroy all of them. Yeah. If they go on a suicide mission. Um, I love that. I mean, in the movie, this isn't spoil. Well, I won't talk about the movie just because I don't want to spoil people. You've seen it. Whatever. They don't do that in the movie. That's true. <laughs> um, so instead, oh, of just, like, wow. si- instead of just like sitting and waiting for Kitty to wake up and just be like, oh, the X-Men go and do something, which is super cool. And they all die. They go to like the... They go to like the mainframe computer of the Sentinels. Yeah, I also, I love John Byrne anytime he draws mechanics. I love his detailed backgrounds. Yeah, they're so detailed. The lines are like so like straight and thin. Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I just love it. When he also, does that. like so precious that in 1980 that. They thought that that's what computers are going to look like in 2013. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're so big. Yeah, but well, we did. It's like, but just we... find the Sentinel's iPod, guys. Like, yes. everything's in there. Yeah, seriously, Step just do it. a hard reboot. Put it in a toilet. Yeah. It'll yeah. be like, and like the, the, the <laughs> current version reboot. of this would just be like a big, just empty room <laughs> with like a little stick. It would be more <laughs> like in the first new Batman movie where Morgan Freeman just like, it's just literally an open room and then there's one big screen on the yeah. wall. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or even like it would be inside of the Sentinel. Like I don't even know if they would. They oh, would just yeah. be, they would have like an iPad in their finger that they could just like touch or whatever. Mm-hmm. We do get some sexy Sentinel butt shot there, though. Ooh, sexy! Yeah, very uh, defined muscles. I really muscles. like <clears throat> that this is a Sentinel who is also like working at a computer. Yeah, a he's computer a computer working, working a, a computer. I guess that's what like <laughs> any like car manufacturing lines are now. Sure, right? yeah. technology zero one zero zero one zero one zero one. Um, if anyone knows binary, please tell me what I said. I have no idea. You said butts. <laughs> you well, hold it upside one, down and it's just boom. That's the one phrase you know. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about um, Claremont also has a way of just shoving in really character-building exposition. I'm trying to find the page. When Storm is breaking into the Fantastic Four um, tower what is that place called why can i for freedom's plaza for freedom's plaza why what is that? formerly the baxter building yeah all of a sudden she's like it was a lot and she's thinking it was a lifetime ago when i was a street urchin in cairo being trained as a thief by ahmed el jabbar those were hard days but happy ones though i was happier still years later in kenya the urchin became the goddess aurora the weather witch who used her mutant powers to help the local villages i i wish i was there i wish i was that child again i might as well wish for the moon I learned all that for the first time in that <laughs> panel. Yeah. I was going to say, like, as someone reading this for the first time, who also hasn't read, like, many comic books, like, was the wordiness and, like, all that information, how did you take in that? It was it was a little heavy-handed. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I just learned that her name was Aurora Monroe, and I love that name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> love that name. Um, now yeah, now it's what so you can check into hotels as... Uh, yes. like Monroe, be a rock comma, star Aurora Aurora no O-R-O-R-O it's <laughs> two letters two O's and an O <laughs> <laughs> spelled the same forward as it is backwards ooh palindrome names but it does like because I was reading this these are two normal sized issues they're two 22 page issues but they feel like six like it feels a lot there's so much going on well look at look at how many panels Byrne was drawing on just this page alone. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. eight. That's eight panels. And yet they do, it doesn't feel rushed or that cluttered, I think. Yeah. And in both issues, they remind you that Wolverine's skeleton is made out of the strongest metal known to man. Yeah. It was yeah. at Adamium. Adamium. Adamantium. Yeah. Adamantium. That was a great... It was really close, though. Um, well, it's like the genesis of man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, John Byrne, by the way, this run that they did on... 
Uncanny X-Men that people consider like one of the greatest runs of comics ever. This was like groundbreaking art too. Yeah. Uh, he was doing this month in and month out. This much detail, uh, this much dynamicism in his panel layouts and his shot choices. Um, this is so cool. They're like fight poses are amazing. Yeah, the yeah. double page spread at the top of well, yeah, like this awesome like splash page when it starts. This is the tale of two worlds and of the child woman who sought to save them. Okay, child woman. One forty one when it just ends with "Welcome to the twenty first century." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hope you survive the experience. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also. I mean. What did you think about the fashion of this? Because I feel I, I always equate John Byrne's art with being super seventies and eighties. Like, yeah, most artists try to draw like civilian clothes, very kind of like timeless. But I always feel like his clothes, like his suits and stuff, just feel super nineteen eighty. I feel like the the suits didn't bother me. Even I mean, I love the, even the, suits. the angels, like weird one there. That's <laughs> Morn. It's really the women, like Doctor. What's her name? Taggart. McTaggart. Moira McTaggart. That's an upsetting. Father. That's an upsetting ensemble. Well, when she's, well, she's wearing like a little kerchief and, and, and that the magenta like, storms just street clothes and Her. the collar that Kitty has on. <laughs> like all their mutant outfits are super timeless. I mean, what do you think about? I mean, like Pyro's cool cravat and hot pink. That sweater. doesn't even bother me because I'm like, he's such a doof. He might wear that anytime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, he, I mean, he would wear that now. Destiny's rocking this white pantsuit. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. That's like a, pretty cool. And like a ruffled tuxedo shirt. This was my favorite when uh, Mystique is just the lady who works at the Pentagon. Yeah, that's my favorite dress of, of all the women's outfits. It's it's uh, simple. It's well cut. Yeah. Looks like a prison dress, but it's actually a it's flattered, you know, like a flattered prison dress. But it's belted. But it's belted. I like that skulls. Mystique is a shapeshifter, but they give her like this kind of Clark Kent thing where she's like ducking into the room and taking off her glasses at the same yeah, time. Yeah. It's like ha ha, but it's like then her entire body changes. Yeah. And her hair color. I was always impressed. I've always been impressed that she can morph her clothes with her body. Well, that's that's why they are. That's why the movie costume always makes more sense because there is no costume, and so her skin becomes her clothes. Yeah, which is kind of gross. It is it a bit makes gross sense to me. So yeah, um, I want to talk about also uh, the two reasons why John Byrne left X Men right after this. Yeah, so this is he was there the are, he's the illustrator. Artist. Yeah, yeah, and there was one more issue after these two. Yeah, and it's Kitty Pride. In the X Mansion alone on Christmas or Christmas Eve, fighting like Harry Potter, yeah, fighting a, fighting a demon <gasps> yeah. that looks like alien, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she kills it the exact same way that Ripley kills the monster, the alien. And alien. Yeah, it was and totally. This is after Alien. Yes, it was totally based off of the movie. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, Alien came out like seventy nine, yeah. and then this was probably 80. written in summer eighty. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Um, but I want to say like. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Just the is this the splash page? Yeah, this is the first page of one forty one. Days of Future. Like you had to know when you were opening up the like the yeah. cover and seeing this that you were about yeah. to see something amazing. Crazy. Yeah, it's this yeah. amazing shot of of Kate Pride carrying a medical box through the wreckage of the Upper West. Of, uh, this is New York, the Big Apple. Once upon a time, it was a nice place to live. It is no longer. The street is Park Avenue in the upper seventies. So it's like seventy in Park. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, uh, very Will Eisner drawing yeah. with like with the landscape and ruin behind her, forming the title of the book. Days of Future Past, like the lamp posts 
going a mannequin, mannequin like parking signs. You can see bicycle. the Chrysler building. Oh yeah, that oh. was really cool. Oh, I love that. Um, not but, sure how that works out. Park Avenue. Oh, I guess it does. Seventies. <laughs> this is the yeah. thing that we 70s do. Seventies on but Park Avenue. It's pretty far up. To be able to see that. Although, if so this I is the future and they've like decimated a lot west. of buildings. Oh, yeah. There's probably nothing of in the Maybe the yeah. Sentinels like knock down a bunch of buildings. So we, were, we respect Chrysler building. <laughs> yeah. It is pretty. Halt. Present Chrysler. Best automotives. <laughs> or Sentinels. Um, so John Byrne was the artist from like 108, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, like 108 wow. to 143. So he was, on, he was the artist for a long time. You can see he's credited as co-plotter. Because uh, usually, like, writer writes, artist draws. But sometimes, like, Claremont and Byrne got really close to where they would just start writing the stories together. They got and... really pyro and avalanche. Yeah, they got really... <laughs> I wish. I wish. But but the problem is... <laughs> this is where my heart breaks. Um, the problem is that John Byrne himself is a writer. I know He wasn't a writer yet. Like, this is before he started writing things on his own. Right. Um, but I mean, correct. Yeah, but pretty much after this <laughs> run, he would always be a writer artist. I don't think he would ever draw for another writer again. After no, no, that? he does. Okay, he does. He he continues to, but he would treat them as he would never allow himself to be as involved as he yeah. was here if he was the hired gun to draw something. But like X Men, I mean, he did. He like designed all these characters. I mean, I'm, he named Kitty Pride. Kitty Pride was a girl he went to like elementary school with. Whoa. He like wrote her if if he could use her name. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, so he was super involved to the point they started breaking the stories together and then plotting them together. And then he would draw it. So you draw the whole issue, then you give it to the writer to to script on top of it to write the dialogue and the captions. And Cl- Claremont would do things to the pages he had drawn to change the story in ways he had not intended. Uh, and that would make him mad. Like, he's do, you, do you have an example? Two of examples from this. Okay. Um, because basically, what he said, like, it bugs Hot Gus. Hot Gus. Twenty-four year old Gus. What he said was like, basically, even though they were co-plotters, Claremont always got the final word because he was the one scripting it and giving it to the editor. So, the first thing chronologically, the first thing that f- made John Byrne livid was this is so cool. Uh, I can't wait. Kitty Pride. When Kate Pride fixes the deed and then resets the timeline and gets sucked back, um, he just drew that panel of her, like, clutching her head. Oh, my gosh, I'm traveling back through time. It's like, okay, cool. Claremont then puts in, um, in that split second, an abyss opens within Kate Pride. (laughs) Reality twists inside out, and suddenly she comes face to face with herself as a child. So innocent, so vulnerable, so young. Impulsively, she gives herself a kiss. And that pissed John Byrne off so much. There was a post on his message board um, where he just said, like, yeah, and then came the weird lesbian incest kiss. Thank you. Underage lesbian incest kiss. Yeah, yeah. Is it incest if it's yourself? Well, he called it incest. I don't know. Maybe not. But Self-cest? Self-cest. But here's the in, thing. In incest. Yeah, yeah. Before in, I get to in the... <laughs> Insider sex. Yeah, yeah. Before I get to the next uh, grievance he had, I want to ask everyone, what kind of kiss did you guys picture that was? Because I pictured it being like a kiss on the forehead. Yeah, exactly yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just, just like, like a, a very gentle, symbolic, like... Yeah. 
You're doing all right, kid. It's fine. Oh, well, see, I saw it as a kiss on the forehead, but like a tongue kiss on the forehead. Oh, <laughs> right, right, right. Like some cable oh, guy? Oh, like some, oh yeah. Like, like a ballet. I don't know. Haven't seen the movie in a long time. Um, the other thing that he hated comes on the next page uh, when Angel asks, like, does that mean we change the future? And then off panel, you hear Professor X say, I do not know, Warren. Cliche though it sounds, only time will tell. It was their intention for them to firmly state, no, they changed the future. And then Claremont was like, no, I must, I want to give it a little bit of like an open-ended ambiguity. And that pissed John Byrne off. He was like, okay, then what was this for? Yeah, why did we do this? Yeah, because huh. they, and they even bring it up in like the previous issue, or no, is it earlier in this issue when Rachel even hypothesizes while she's watching Kate Pride? Oh, I am. Yeah. Furiously tearing through this. It's further, yeah. Uh, I don't know, Colossus. Our world may not change at all. Instead, Kate's actions could create an entirely different timeline, an alternate parallel Earth. So, like, I don't know. They're going back in time to save... It's very altruistic. Like, they're going back in time not to save themselves, but to save other people. Like, they're yeah. creating a splinter. Just uh, to create a splinter and hopefully save their mm-hmm. past selves, but still continue yep. to suffer. <laughs> but they're still fucked up and all their friends are dead. So, it's, yeah... So it's it That's those really weird. those two things were like the last some of the last straws and he was like yeah. I'm, I'm out just a shame fascinating too and they had had um you had talked about this before briefly on the podcast but there are documents out there that outline what they wanted their plans to be <sighs> yeah because they had had plans for like another thirty issues right yeah Whoa. they there's a there's a little handwritten thing is just like just titles. I think like they did it around issue 120 and they've like bro- broke it out a lot like Dark Days of Future Past is in there and then after this was like a battle with Sabretooth yeah. and all this other stuff. And, and then Sabretooth doesn't actually show up in these books uh, for another... 50 issues? 60, 70? 70. Wow. It's like 212 Two, or something. Yeah. I really also like the moment where Colossus and Kitty Pride are ta- or Kate Pride are like talking about if we go back and this works... We may have, we may never have loved each other. Yeah, that's so cool. And then, and then also, Colossus talks about how he and his like dear friend Storm, they oh, both, they when both, Storm like, dies? yeah. <clears throat> and he's talking about how they both figured, like thought that the greatest gift was life, and the best way to celebrate it was, and love was the best. Wait, here we go. <laughs> thought life was the most precious of gifts, and love. The most precious celebration of that gift. <laughs> Isn't it great? I don't know. <laughs> oh, and they like do. That. They do frame it. Peter Raspian was ever a gentleman. <laughs> yeah, I always imagine Chris Claremont in like a dimly lit study, typing something like that, and then going, "Yes," like taking <laughs> a uh, taking a, a drink and <laughs> tapping his, just really thinking about what he's done. There he's are there are some lines that are very pat yourself on the back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, even the yeah. title of it. Can we suss out the title of this? Days, Days of, of Future, future past. past. Days yeah. of the future that have already passed. That if you add some prepositions in there, it kind of works. Days. Okay, yeah, yeah. Over. And for people who love adjectives, you'd think they'd add some prepositions. Think, yeah, there'd be a little bit. Days of, of the future. 2013. So in the past, in the past, 1980. It's well, I. You know what? It should be days of future apostrophe s past. Days the possessive of, of the future because the future's future past, past are the days oh, of days which of they're future. traveling to. Days of <laughs> futures past. Yeah, that 
ruins it though. <laughs> it does. It does. This seems more poetic. Days oh of yeah. The future. Like Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah. It still works. I think <laughs> Days of Future passes way cooler than Back to the Future. The oh, name. totally. Totally. Oh yeah, this is much more like even though it's only not even a one full day. No, this no, is so like... it's kind of wrong. It's yeah, that's like a few like... hours. She that's, goes that's hours of future past. <laughs> okay, let's do let's 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 a uh, free associate. Let's do a thought a uh, thought ex- exercise here. Uh, like, how much convincing would it take for you if, if someone you know is like, "I'm from the future. We have to do this thing," because they like as soon as Kate Pry comes back, she gives them the lowdown. They're like, "Well." We're gonna go to Washington, like, yeah. and they're going there to verify it. But they go along; they they jump on board. Oh yeah, and and she she does say like, "Storm, you told me you'd be the hardest to convince." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think of Twelve Monkeys in that case when he has to like convince that lady, and they're yeah. like in the creek or something. Yep. I it, it would take me a substantial amount of of convincing because also would. they would know things. They would know things. That you know, but you know, Ouija boards have known things that they should have known. True. And I don't. Be- and I don't know. It. Well, I don't know. Maybe I do believe in Ouija boards, guys. Have you guys ever Ouija'd? I mean, I always knew who had a crush on me in the seventh grade. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. duh. <laughs> uh, any, any, it's not true. I didn't have any idea. Any uh, last? The Ouija board did, but it wouldn't tell it you. It wouldn't tell me. It was super coy Ouija board. <laughs> it's like I always ended up with the coy one. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Yes. Will you tell me? No. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was like eight O's. It kept coming back to the O. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. There's a really good story. Uh, I'll close out or whatever with the story that um, I read in that Vulture piece. Louise Jones, uh, later Louise Simonson, was who was the who edited this story. Mm-hmm. It's one of my heroes. I have opinions on. Her interjections. Ooh. Oh, all those like see this issue. Yeah, that man's just bugging it. How it was, how it did back then. That's how they did rolled. It, yeah, what did what did it make you feel? It was just like did it take you out of it, or it it did. It had it made me feel like somebody was watching me read it. Ah, and oh. if it had just said reference like one fifty one or one twenty or whatever, that would have been mm-hmm. one thing. But she signed it every time as if we didn't know who was writing those. Or yeah. as if it mattered. Yeah, yeah. It's it like, does matter. It's like, <laughs> if it's in 120, cool. Then it's in 120. Just give me a little footnote. <laughs> yeah. I'll check it out. We don't We don't need to know that the editor signed off on this. We're not going to think that the writer, like, the artist snuck in after the book had gone to the printer and pasted that on top yeah. of it. Yeah. This is the thing, like Louis, because like we, like I, we grew up like reading these, so like this was always just part of the package, and so I never find it weird. And but when you say like, yeah, it does make weird sense because when you're watching a movie or like an episode of television, you don't have like the showrunner like pop up in the corner and be like, hey, go to iTunes and buy season two, episode three. (laughs) Yeah. Time out. Here's how that Easter egg should have impressed all of you yeah. from the two seasons yeah, yeah. ago. Yeah, I Arrested am development. Matthew Weiner. C.P. Campbell in the pilot episode. <laughs> and then he says, Matthew. <laughs> Matthew. Signed. Yeah. Um, but she was saying that she was like talking to a retailer um, in like the late, late 70s after they did Dark Phoenix Saga, which is Ooh. when Jean Grey dies. Mm-hmm. I know that from the cartoon. Big, big story. Yeah. And so a retailer was like, man, this issue where she died sold a lot. Can you like kill more people? <gasps> and so she was like, 
okay, so on the cover of 142, I'll just put this issue, Everybody Dies. <laughs> and so she put this issue, Everybody Dies, on the cover of 142. Oh, and I didn't even realize that was Wolverine dying. And I was like, no. Like, Storm one hand, Wolverine with the other hand. And I was like, ha, good joke, cover. <laughs> no. Yeah. And by the end, I'm like, weeping. No. Yeah, <laughs> that happens. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, what are what are final thoughts on DOF, DOFP? Right? Yeah. Oh. We three. This is. I would say this is kind of deep end, because uh, the way comics were written and made in the ninth in like nineteen eighty or like kind of like before ninety one. Yeah. Before ninety five. Before two thousand. Well, I think before the break, the image break, where yeah, people went off and tried to write and couldn't. It really forced a change in how comics were written. There's a the dialogue is a lot more flowery. You know, the Very stories flowery. are a little more uh, dense. So I was wondering, we threw you in the deep end with this. I just wanted, what are your thoughts? Um, I love now knowing that it it had no context with. That's my favorite thing ah, I think about it. Yeah, is that it had no context within the story <laughs> of what they were setting up at the time, and that they went from having a thirteen-year-old girl to this like grown, disgruntled like prisoner of war, like a <laughs> yeah, prison, prison camp. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I think was very cool. Um, I'm trying to find the page that had all of my favorite adjectives on it, as, so that's how I can say goodbye. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, while you're doing that, I can say that like, Ooh. Oh, oh, sorry, I just we didn't even mention the Nightcrawler and Mystique. Thing. Oh yeah, jeez. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. major. Is that, he is she hinting yes. that they're brother and sister, or that they're it's related? His that she's his yeah. mother. And yeah. other weird Claremont tidbits. Guess who? Well, hold on. <gasps> Ooh. Claremont originally intended for Destiny to be his mother and for Mystique to be his father oh, as a shapeshifter. Yeah, which is amazing because that means that her internal organs also shift as well yeah. and that she can generate sperm. Yeah. <gasps> but they that didn't happen. Yeah. They changed. Instead, instead his mother is Mystique and his father is a demon. Yeah. Which Just makes, like a demon, like a random yeah, non, non-identified. It makes, it makes me sad and mad. But the, do demons even exist in this world? They do. All over the place. Everything exists in this world. Eventually, everything exists in this world. Unicorns. Well, there was an Iron Man villain called Unicorn, who was a human being wearing a really dumb costume. Close (laughs) enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I say, I I still, I love this story. Like, when I got to the second issue, where it's that great fight scene, and it's, again, all the X-Men teamwork. Yeah. All those, like, great, subtle touches of, like, Storm being unsure Nightcrawler, like, being like, what the hell, Mystique, what? Yeah. And I love Wolverine in this. I love, like, this is how Wolverine should be. I like that Wolverine is portrayed in this as kind of a maniac. Mm-hmm. That they all have to be like, hey, maybe don't kill everyone instinctually. Yeah. yeah. Like, He's like the cool. kid running off at the mall, and the whole team's, like, grabbing his collar. Yeah, and pulling <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which makes, I think that's a much more interesting character to me than, like, the unflappable killing machine that everyone, like, trusts and lets do whatever they want. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love this story too. It's uh, both historically and on its own. It's just a really good tale. It is, it is an amazing culmination of the team of Claremont, uh, uh, Byrne, and I'll say Terry Austin too. Oh God, yeah, uh, because he's a phenomenal and, and anchor. Tom Orzakowski on yeah. letters and Glennis Oliver on colors and yeah. Louise on the notes. And Louise on them notes. Louise on them notes. Honestly, like all these people, like all. Like, or was it Chow? Or was it Kowski? 
yeah. uh, as a letterer is like considered to be the best. Or like straight up one of the best. This is, a, yeah. this is an amazing letter. Wojcikowski, yeah. John Workman. Yeah, like those guys. And, Chris Iliopoulos. Uh, and this, this, this stretch of time is so, so special. Mm-hmm. The fact that this is what they went out on basically is like yeah. crazy. I mean, there is one more issue, but it's almost like an epilogue to yeah, everything a, that they yeah. already did. And this is such an, a big epic that they packed into forty-two pages because they were. This is only twenty-one each, right? No, I, I count. It's twenty-two. It's it 40, is because I counted because like there's no way these are twenty-two. Yeah. You got something? Yeah. So what do you think? Yeah. What do I think? Yeah, yeah, Elena. What, what, what's your what's your final thought? <laughs> My final thought is. That, um, I wonder what my final thought is. This is Jerry Springer time. I know, I'm scrambling. <laughs> I think that it's cool that there's a standalone story in the middle of all this other stuff happening. Yeah. But I kind of wish that he wouldn't have messed with that last line. Like, I would have felt way better just being like, here, it's definitive, it's different, and now we can go on. Yeah. And it was yeah. just this cool two-part thing. Nope. Because as I was saying before we started, they go back to this reality a bunch, and it just gets weirder. Yeah, which is cool uh, that it goes back and gets weirder. Yeah, but if there's justification for it, not just to, to like, I feel like not making sense now. Let's go back to that reality. Yeah, I mean, because Rachel Rachel comes back and becomes a major major player. Oh, cool. She joins the X Men. She's in the X Men now. She's a yeah. Great... She gets thrown back in time, becomes a member of the X Men, and she's still an X Man today. Yeah. Oh, good job, yeah. Rachel. Uh, both Rachel and Kate look like men when they age. I thought, when I started reading it, I thought it was a man getting attacked by that Native American <laughs> guy. A man, with a, a man with a heavy perm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, I mean, in the 80s. That yeah, yeah. What a, my dad had sense, one. Especially in the 1980s. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, in Rachel and this is supposed to be, like, 18 or 9. Like, she's supposed to be a teenager. Whoa. I think she's just, like, super emaciated. and yeah. Maybe that's just, what like, the thing is. Not living well. Uh, like, of course, they're in, a, they're in a internment camp in the Bronx run by Sentinels. Well, Oof. yeah. I mean, you find out more about Rachel's past. Yeah, things aren't good. Later on, she has been tortured and treated horribly. In this camp? Or in uh, her whole yeah, life? Yeah, yeah. Her whole life. They, they raise her and breed her as what they call a hound because she has telepathic abilities <gasps> and literally treat them. They treat these telepaths like dogs, uh, keep them on leashes and kind of make them almost subhuman um, and use them to track down mutants. But she did wear a really banging like full leather skin type bodysuit with spikes on it. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it was some serious business. Pretty cool. That- I'm so overwhelmed with all this information. Let's say red leather bodysuit. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. (laughs) I have a good quote for for, uh, closing with a lot of adjectives. I love it. Okay. All right. This is from, uh, well, in this book it's 148, but it's one of the last few pages of 142. Uh, With a tremendous effort, Storm surrounds the Sentinel with a fearsome blizzard, dropping its surface temperature far below zero in a matter of seconds, making its metal skin dangerously brittle one punch from colossus will shatter it <laughs> <laughs> so good oh it's so, so good. great um awesome well thank you so much for being on the show and going on this time twisty journey yeah yeah thanks so much for having me to talk about hours of future past <laughs> uh it's plug time now uh, so please tell everyone where we can find you on the internet, what you're working on right now, and how we can get more Elena in our lives. Ooh, uh, on the internet, 
Um, and Twitter, Elena with three L's, E-L-L-L-E-N-A. Mm-hmm. And Instagram, likewise, E-L-L-L-E-N-A. And I'm working right now. I mean, not not anything that's currently happening. So if you want to see me, you can follow my Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know. Stay, stay there and you'll keep us posted. <laughs> awesome. Great. Um, if you guys want to learn more about this episode... And you can go back to the... Oh, no! Oh, man. Okay. Brett was just giving himself a kiss again. (laughs) Yes, a lot more tongue. It just keeps going back and forth through time. He just to kiss himself on the forehead. I I, I gotta get some. I gotta get some. (laughs) Hey, what, what? No, um, yes, you can go to mattandbrettlovecomics.com where you can check out our show notes where we will will have a link to purchasing this trade on Amazon.com and any... Purchase you make through our website on Amazon kicks a little bit of money back to us and takes it from Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Let's take the power back from the robots, you guys. While you're at our site, you can also check out some of our back issues. For example, last week's episode where we reviewed Days of Future Past. On the on a roof at 1240 a.m. after we saw the movie. In Times Square. It was fantastic. <laughs> or you could also check out one of the other X-Men stories that we've read. Uh, if you want some more fierce Claremont lady action you can go back in time and listen to New Mutants the Demon Bear Saga with Kathy Salerno and Nicole Dressel which was a lot of great fun Um, you can learn more about us by heading to the Who Loves Comics tab on mattandbrettlovecomics.com don't forget also to visit us and let us know what you think at facebook.com slash theylovecomics and you know what helps us out a lot iTunes reviews so why don't you go to iTunes just drop us a line. Let us let them know what you think about us. Hopefully, you think good things about us. If you want to drop us some star ratings, that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as always, thanks to our producer Ben Rahib. Uh, you truly are the Rachel Gray to our Katie Pride. I keep saying Katie. I keep wanting to say Katie. I don't. I like it. Well, she's used every other iteration of the name Catherine except for that. One. That's true. Kate, Kitty, Kitten. Well, Kitten is a weird name. Storm uses. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think until next time. This is Matt. And this is Brett. And, and we, we love, love comics. comics. Tremendously. <laughs> <laughs>